SequelCast 2 and Friends is a part of the HyperX Podcast Network. This is a vintage episode of SequelCast 2 and Friends. Audio quality may not be up to current standards. We apologize for the nastier audio artifacts. Here, here. Go away and let us alone. Oh, scared, huh? Afraid, huh? <laughs> How long can you stay fresh in that can? <laughs> Come on, get up and fight, you shivering junkyard. Put your hands up, you lopsided bag of hay. Now that's getting personal, Lion. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From Shock Treatment to Jason X. Hello and welcome to the sequel cast. The sequel cast is a podcast that looks at movies in a franchise, one film at a time. And uh, this time around, we're doing something we haven't done on sequel cast in a while. It's a series of movies as far as what um, what the setting is, what they're inspired by, but they're not direct uh, sequels to each other. Uh, and this time around, so we'll be taking a look at the Oz films over the next few weeks, and uh, we're going to start things off with The Wizard of Oz, a black and white and color film directed by Victor Fleming from uh, 1939. Came out August 25th, 1939 in the United States, distributed by... MGM, based on the novel The Wonderful Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum, with a screenplay by Noel Laneley, Florence Ryerson, Edgar Allan Wolfe, based on a story by Noel Laneley, starring Judy Garland, Frank Morgan, Ray Bolger, Bart Lahr, Jack Haley, and Margaret Hamilton, with a score by Herbert Stothart, and songs by Harold Arlen. The cinematographer was Harold Rawson, off a budget at the time, and this was very expensive, mind you. Oh yes, two point seven million. Uh, since it's been re-released, you know, worldwide, it has made two hundred and eighty-seven million, and that's not counting the several videotape and Betamax and DVD and Blu-ray releases this has had over the years. Uh, Plus I'm, merchandising. I'm at that. You just heard Thrasher right there. Hello. And uh, I, I want to mention the theme song of the sequel cast is written and performed by Mark with a C. Check out his music at markwithac.com. And the sequel cast is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension podcast fleet. Check out other fine film and TV podcasts at battleshippretension.com. And uh, if you want to check us out, the webpage is sequelcast.com for past sequel cast episodes, where we talk about franchises like uh, Smokey and the Bandit, or Star Wars, or Reanimator. Um, <laughs> I like that those are the three examples. Yeah, I was trying with. to improv off the top of my head. And uh, or you, you can check out the Facebook page, facebook.com slash sequelcast. So, The Wizard of Oz, um, I watched this on videotape several times as a kid, but it was always at friends' house, houses, you know. We never had this uh, as a videotape to, to own for whatever reason, although my dad, I think, has memorized this movie. I probably have, too. When did you first see it? Would it have been at home? Uh, yeah, this was... I've, I've been looking back at the way movies and things, you know, at the, the way we experience uh, movies and things. And, the, you know, we do live in a way in a, in a golden age where it's very easy to see just about whatever we want, whenever we want. But when I was growing up in the 80s, 
this was a movie that was hard to come by. Uh, hmm. There, there was you know initially there was no big video release. Uh, once a year, I forget which network would show it, but once a year, one of the big three networks would show this movie with limited commercial interruption, and that was one of the best nights of the year. And my whole family, we'd get together, we'd get popcorns, and we would just bask in The Wizard of Oz. And that stopped around the time the the it came out on video, I think, in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. You know, it just kind of made those kind of rebroadcasts, rebroadcasts superfluous, and the... the TV landscape was changing uh, because of cable and satellite and all these uh, and home video and all these other things, and it was just it, this this movie. In addition to just being a good movie, was made even more special because at the time it was so scarce and you could only see it at, during a special night. Right. You know, I actually had the chance to see this in the theater. I am so jealous. It's a uh, 60th anniversary. They uh, they released it in 1999. Uh, theatrically worldwide on a very limited basis so i get to see it in the theater and it really threw me i since it was this is a movie uh, the wizard of oz i associate so much with watching at home on television that it's really weird going to see it in a theater especially it's full of people you know generations of uh, family members and stuff going to see this movie in the theater and they it was almost like rocky horror picture show in a way they were singing along to all the songs and standing up and uh, uh repeating the lines before characters would say them and all this stuff we know there's there's a in Kansas there is a Wizard of Oz uh, convention and that's something and that's something they do they do sing along screenings of the movie and if you're gonna sing along with the movie it might as well be this and I think before we get into the film I want to talk a bit about the book the wonderful Wizard of Oz uh, yeah. which uh, was written in 1900 so you know this uh, film came out this this film came out 39 years later and yes there were several different versions of Wizard of Oz. That we'll touch on briefly. Including um, the racist one? Including the racist one, yes. Yep. But, um, yeah, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum, I read as a as a kid. And then I read, I found out my school library had all the original uh, L. Frank Baum. Some, sometimes they call him Frank L. Baum, um, depending, because I think Frank was his first name. But then on the. I call him B.L.'s. He's my friend. Yeah. Good uh, LFB. <laughs> he did a thing where, um, you know, he wrote like 14 sequels to Wizard of Oz as books. He wrote all, the there are a lot of Oz books. And then beyond him, you know, other authorized and unauthorized uh, version, you know, uh, sequels to the story in novel or short story or comic book form. And did you read the book at all, ever? Yes, I actually did. Uh, my, actually, I don't... I don't remember whether I read it or my mother read it to me, but I know that my my sister and I ha- had had some sort of experience with the book. That's that's my memory. Oddly enough, is very fuzzy about that time period. But but yes, I, I uh, am familiar with the content of the book itself. And I mean, when the novel came out, it was a huge hit for children. I mean, at the time. Um Frank Baum was sort of, you know, had all these harebrained side jobs and projects that didn't really take off. Wizard of Oz was a huge smash as a book, and uh, Frank uh, Baum even made a film company to make Wizard of Oz silent films that quickly, you know, uh, blew through a lot of money and didn't do very well. But 
And even speaking of not doing well, this was a revised film that we're talking about, the 1939 film. Uh, originally on its theatrical release, you know, barely grossed its budget back. And it wasn't until all the re-releases, especially when it was on television, it became a family event and stuff, that it really became uh, a big success. Well, I'm not sure if, if much of that's really the movie's fault. I mean, the Great Depression was in full swing. In uh, 1939, yeah. And I think also... The horrors of World War II looming on the horizon. The horrors of World War II. W- were we ever so young or so happy? I mean, it would be the equivalent... I'm trying to think, because, you know, this came out 39 years after the book came out. So... It'd be the equivalent if now, uh, let's see, well, okay, like, something that came out the equivalent now, you know, that, um, that same amount, 39 years ago, uh, the, um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory novel came out. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they did a movie of that not so long ago, and that was a big success, so that's a poor analog to Wizard of Oz. Was the, the other Charlie and the Cho- the false Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie was that a success? The Tim Burton one? Yeah. Yes. Really? Big success. I don't know anyone who likes that movie. Uh, whether um, people you know liked it or is a totally separate thing from. Yeah, it well, made you know, it made almost man- half a billion dollars theatrical worldwide. Because uh. Alice in Wonderland filmed it even better. Made about a billion bucks, theatrically. But, you know, we're not talking about Tim Burton. I think he might make a fine topic for a sequel cast special in the future. But uh, Wizard of Oz 1939. um, I watched this film with uh, the commentary where they used archival, you know, TV and radio interviews of people that starred in the movie. And and, and, uh, a historian narrates it. And he brings up some interesting factoids like... Gee, what's a good one? <laughs> well, I only had a brain. This movie began <laughs> in uh, black and white, and a lot of, not a lot of people know this. It, it became color. You know the song Over the Rainbow is a song the producers wanted to cut from the film? Yes, I do know that. Because it's not like critical to the plot. The beginning, it takes a bit before oh, they yes, get to Oz. Is. Well... It reveals character. It reveals character. It builds the character of Dorothy, that she's frustrated, she feels trapped. I mean, Over the Rainbow is just about the best song ever written, as far as I'm concerned, because it can be a metaphor for whatever you want. Kind of like we didn't start the fire. Well, but we didn't start the fire directly list a whole bunch of uh, references. (laughs) But, But those references are themselves metaphors for whatever you want them to be. What's that? Majestically cresting the horizon as it makes its way into port. Why, it's the brand new HyperX Armada monitors, mounts, and arms. Both the HyperX Armada 25 and 27 gaming monitors come bundled with a sturdy HyperX Armada mount and arm. If you need every split second of advantage when gaming, the full HD Armada 25 and its 240Hz refresh rate are for you. If you like to soak in the graphical majesty of your gaming, you'll be eyeing the Quad HD Armada 27 with an 165Hz refresh rate. Set sale for HyperX.com or Amazon.com to start making your display Armada. Have I blown your mind? You, uh, 
you blew it something fierce. <laughs> Just about as much as uh, someone did with the, uh, as Judge Reinhold did at the Weenie Whistle and Santa Claus. The Santa Claus, I'm sorry. But no, this, yes. this is just such a wonderful, a wonderful, a cherished movie uh, for for me and so many people I know. Although I have noticed a theme, uh, I do know people who didn't see this movie when they were kids, and as a result, they don't like it as adults. I could see that. I mean, it's a really, uh, really weird movie. I like the bit. We should actually talk about the plot before you know. For, for the seven Food humans around. that don't know what the plot yeah, is. Yeah, for, for trivia. Whoa, thanks, Butters the Cat, for jumping on my shoulder with all your 20 pounds of weight. I guess 17 pounds. Um, Margaret Hamilton, who played the Wicked Witch of the West, they uh, the paint they used on her face had lead in it, and because of that, her face had a pale green pallor, and she couldn't leave her house for six months after the filming. Yeah, there were actually a lot of crazy uh, of because I mean, there's lots of like breakthrough uh, effects work in this, and a lot of experiments and risks were taken involving the makeup. Uh, it's like, as I recall, Buddy Epson was originally supposed to play the Tin Man, but he couldn't because the aluminum. He, he ended up having uh, a reaction to the aluminum that was in the face paint he would have had to wear. Yep, that is absolutely. True, and, uh, and I heard that the, the both the scarecrow and the uh, cowardly lion costumes were just sinfully hot. The cowardly lion uh, costume actually had like real, like either lion skin or lion fur on it. It looks like it. It weighed about fifty pounds, and yeah, between every take, they apparently had to uh, use a towel and a sponge to get all the sweat <laughs> off uh, Bert Lauer. So you know, and put him back in the and hair and blow dry the the outfit, so it didn't smell so bad or look weird, soaked in sweat. Um, I was a bit surprised. You know, one actor that was considered like the biggest star in the film is Frank Morgan, who of course plays the wizard, as well as a few other minor parts in the film. Yeah, indeed he does. He's he's. He's, a, he's an interesting and mercurial character, and for all we know, he is all those people. Yeah. I, I mean, so, I mean, the basic plot of Wizard of Oz, as you said, Thrasher, it's something I think everyone really knows, or if you don't, you probably should, in that Dorothy is a girl in Kansas, she hates her life, there's a, a lady that wants to fuck with her dog that she's pissed at. The lady wants her dog put down. Yeah. And how do you think they did that in, uh, you know, the 1900 or so when the movie's supposed well, to take place? Well, uh, in, in the time, I'm sure that there was a village dog strangler. Uh, it's a position that you were elected into by the town by the town elders. And your job, if an animal, and it's not just for dogs. I mean, the the, the it's the, the title is kind of it's it's it. He, you you strangle all sorts of animals that people would rather not have to deal with. So if a horse, if like a, a horse or a mule breaks its leg, you call over the dog strangler, and he strangles it for you. Yeah, I, I do think when you look at Wizard of Oz, um, with all the. The characters in it, you look at the plot compared to the book, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. Uh, this film has a more simplified plot. In the book, they go to more locations. There's more witches. 
There's it's more, more epic questing as well. More epic questing, yeah. More society, um, you know, different societies in Oz. In this one, you just sort of get the munchkins, and uh, and that's it. But yeah, yeah, there's and there's and you know, if this if this movie were made today, fans of the book would hate it because they mm-hmm. do make a lot of changes. You're right. Now, what do you think about the um, like? Do you want to talk about the Tin Man? So yeah, that's let's, go, let's go ahead and uh, talk about the Tin Man. My, my, I think is my favorite character. Really? Yes. Is it because he's a he has a phallic uh, tin hat? That's barely phallic. Uh, in, in fact, it's it's uh, could almost be be. Uh, because it's a it's a vessel, it could almost be seen is is a, a, a gynec image. But no, what I, uh, I I guess one well part of it is just you know my childhood fascination with robots. Mm, but you know, yeah. two, it's the, I think it's the character that I most connect with because you know we uh, and this is getting kind of personal, but we we both have difficulty processing and understanding our own emotions, and we all feel like there's a missing part that we just weren't created with. That if we had it. It would all make sense. I never thought of it that way, but yeah, I mean, isn't isn't Data from Star Trek: Next Generation nothing if not a modern Tin Man? In in a lot of ways, yes. There's there's definitely parallels right there. Instead you know, of, the only main difference is that you know the, the Tin Man just just you know Data Data's kind of a Pinocchio. He's he's always striving for for humanity. The the Tin Man already has his humanity, but he can't integrate that into himself. Hmm. I mean, the, the book's like more violent. The Tin Man has a, uh, an origin story where, um, it's something like, uh, like a witch falls in love with him or, or something like that. He's a, he's a young man in love. Yeah. He's a young man in love and things don't work out. And, um, the witch gets so angry. She curses the, the axe that he has, and but he he's a woodsman, so he has to you know chop down trees and stuff to make a living. And this possessed axe chops off all his limbs. But in Oz, you can never die, so he goes. Yes, to the, because they uh, they're a democracy, and they voted to outlaw death. Yep. And um, you know, each time the Tin Man lost a limb, he went back and got a, a metal limb attached, and until he became a fully uh, Tin Man. But it gets darker. How so? Oh, you don't know the other stuff. Oh, I don't remember the parts the other stuff. that were cut off. Yeah, were used to make another man that looks just like him, and that other man went on to have a full life, fell in love, and got married. And at one point, the Tin Man mm. actually tracked down his body to take it back. And then, when he saw the wonderful life that his body had with this other woman, he he couldn't bring himself to end it by effectively murdering this new being that that had all of his organic parts. Now, is that from the first book, or is that in later books? You know, I actually don't recall. It might actually show up in a later book, but it's it's just it's 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 fascinating the areas that that Balm goes to. I mean, if you want to actually read the original Wizard of Oz books, they're public domain. Woohoo! Uh, so they're my two favorite words. Pretty easy to uh, find a copy, and and yet you know I I have my Kindle. I like reading stuff on it, so I got you know there was a collection of all the books for like uh, all the. L. Frank Baum Oz books for like twelve, uh, like two bucks. So I got it, and I was disappointed to see it did not have the illustrations in it. Oh yeah, and those illustrations are 
very iconic. Well, it's, it's it's like reading Alice in Wonderland without the original illustrations. You lose so much. Right. And maybe it's because maybe those illustrations are in copyright or something. I don't know. Where the text is not. I'm not really sure. But, um, you know, for the Wizard of Oz film, they had to make up the ruby red slippers. And, well, um, they they didn't make it up because in the original story... There, they were silver slippers, but yes. when it was when the movie was being made, and it was decided that they were going to be, uh, it was going to be a full Technicolor movie. They wanted really impressive covers, uh, covers colors, and they decided, and I think rightly slow, so that ruby slippers would be much more stunning on screen than silver slippers. Yeah, I think if anything, silver would have looked almost more like gray and kind of dull looking. Do you think um, Judy Garland uh, is too old to be playing the part of Dorothy? In fact, one of the actresses they originally were considering, uh, very briefly, was Shirley Temple. I can understand. I can understand the desire to use Shirley Temple, and in fact, I can. I can imagine a Wizard of Oz movie with Shirley Temple, but it wouldn't be this Wizard of Oz movie. Frankly, I think Judy Garland works. I mean, I. I don't know how old. I mean, I know Dorothy is a young girl in the books. I I don't really think anything in the movie sets her age. But I always I always completely bought her as a as a teenager. But but admittedly, you know, I love this movie so much that that I completely suspend my disbelief. She could have been thirty plus and playing that part, and I don't think I would care. Hmm. I mean, yeah, that that song we were talking about earlier, somewhere over the rainbow. This particular version, when I hear it in the in the film, it always makes me cry. I can't stop myself. And I don't know if it's more about the lyrics, because that could speak to a lot of different things. You could feel like, oh, you know, gee, uh, with the economy, stuff sucks now, but it could get better. Or, you know, you can it, you can make it whatever you want it to be. Because the lyrics are that open to interpretation. You know, one, one of the best... I, I'm not sure if I've ever cried hearing that in the. I'm not sure if I've ever cried hearing that in in the movie itself. Although the the song has uh, made me cry, the version that did it was actually a version that Marion McPartland played on NPR's Piano Jazz. Was it just instrumental? Yeah, it was just just instrumental on the piano, all acoustic. Just her playing with a, a just a the littlest flourishes that she she puts into the in, into it and it that that version really hit me and and i suppose one of the reasons it did is i if i hear that song in my head i hear the lyrics even if it's just even if it's just the melody well, I, the, I cannot experience that song without the lyrics coming to me there's a very popular cover of um over the rainbow by the late hawaiian uh, artist is where he sings a uh, sort of a mashup of "Over the Rainbow" and "What a Wonderful Life," with the ukulele backing him. Um, oh, you know what? Have you ever uh, have you ever seen the uh, Korean science fiction comedy "Save the Green Planet"? No, it's it's a it's a wonderful. Well, actually, I guess it's kind of tonally, the tone keeps shifting. Overall, I'm going to call it a, co- a comedy just because of the level of absurdity, but it does go into horror. Uh, I, the movie could take some time to explain, just know what I, I've told you, but there is a Korean punk band cover of Somewhere Over the Rainbow that is used in the film that's just used so well and is an amazing rendition. Mm. 
It's, it's the, probably uh, my second favorite after the piano jazz version. The American, the American punk band Me First and the Gimme Gimmies. Oh, yeah. Did a good cover of that, too. But, you know, we're not talking about music. We're supposed to talk more about the film, The Wizard of Oz. No, we have to, though. This is a musical. Oh, no. The music is very important. And it's interesting. Like, the second half of the film doesn't have that much music. And, in fact, they cut out a lot of musical numbers from the film. Which I think we should talk about later. Uh, one mm-hmm. in particular. The Jitterbug? Yep. Yeah. It's a weird one. Um, I was interested to learn about um, Bert Lahr as the Cowardly Lion. He has that wonderful song, If I Were King of the Forest. Oh, I love it. And they tailored what? that song specifically for that actor, and it almost has like a, it's almost like a best of compilation of all his vaudevillian bits. Which is, is something I like. I like that, that they they are tailoring it to the, to the performer's strength. And that's another song that I love, just because you know I, I I love how much of the lion's character we see. But also, my uncle Clark sings that song when he wants to embarrass my cousins, and he does, does it really well. Does he do it I in mean, public? He sounds like a real cowardly lion. Does he do it in public? Like you're at a restaurant? Oh, uh, he has before. Yes. If I were king of the forest, <laughs> yeah. But the wonderful thing is. Uh, everyone aside from my cousins loves it because it is such a beloved movie and such a beloved song. Right. It It is. I think, you know, among the other iconic things of the film are the scary trees. Mm, I would like it if somebody came over and picked something off of you. I mean, that had to have been an inspiration for the evil tree and the evil dead. Uh, I, I could see some of that, yeah. And it's... And it is it is creepy because like you, when when you first experience it, you definitely don't see that coming, and even after you've seen the movie, it builds up so much tension. I never know when that tree is going to slap her hand away. Yeah, and uh, it looks scary, but it looks enough like a, a tree. And at that point, I mean, you've seen a uh, Glinda the Good Witch, you've seen the witch the house fell down on, but they hadn't introduced that many fantasy elements, like, is there any bad characters that they're up against? And the trees maybe aren't necessarily bad, but they're just, uh, want to be left alone. Well, I mean, they are having, they are having their reproductive organs stolen to be cannibalized. Yep. Or consumed, I should say. They're, they're not trees themselves. Uh, I was surprised to uh, learn, listening to the commentary, that Margaret Hamilton as the Wicked Witch of the West uh, they had to trim a lot of her lines from the film because test audiences, the children, found it way too scary. She she is terrifying, mm-hmm. but in a way, they I guess they do they did trim it down to the perfect level uh, of of Wicked Witch of the West. I've I've never like as, as a kid, I I was always sort of fascinated with her. I never got too scared, but I think that might have a lot to do with the fact that she shows up very briefly to make her threats and then goes away. Although that that scene where she where she throws the fireball at the scarecrow, that oh that still gets me. Just the her cackle is, is perfect. It's it's iconic. It's something like once you hear it you you can't forget it. It's what you would imagine all wicked witches sound like when they cackle. Yeah, it, I mean, you know, just the 
the witch and then the music. One of the all-time great movie themes. I mean, I just um, like when I hear that, I just imagine her lurking quickly up to catch me. Did you know Andrew Lloyd Webber produced a Wizard of Oz musical uh, recently? Really? That played no. in England, and it used music from the movies, but then he also wrote original music. And uh, there's a song that uses that melody that I just hummed. The Wicked Witch is coming, the Wicked Witch is coming, the, wi- the Wicked Witch is almost here! Uh, something along those lines, yeah. <laughs> so, I just thought that was a bit surprising, but then, I mean, even in the, in the history of Wizard of Oz, it was a very popular stage play as well before becoming a film. Oh, yes. So. It's it's one of those stories that has been in every medium. It, it really has. Including including the the uh, the forgotten superhero comic Oz Squad. What is the Oz Squad? It was it was a comic. I think it was like the late nineties, early two thousands. It was it was for all intents and purposes, it was the Wizard of Oz reimagined as a cartoonish uh, film noir. The the hmm. uh, the main characters the main characters we all know from this story banded together and were sort of a team of hyper violent. Uh, superheroes breaking up organized crime in the Munchkin Kingdom. Did you ever see the Muppets Wizard of Oz from 2005? Yes, I did. I, I, I actually, I really enjoyed it. It's not perfect, but it is very enjoyable. And hey, Jeffrey Tambor is the Wizard of Oz. It's perfect cast. Quentin Tarantino is in it. Yes, there's a the uh, the way they uh, Miss Piggy, of course, plays the Wicked Witch of the West, who is like a sort of a, like a biker gang leader, and uh, has you know her her gang of uh, flying gorillas or biker gorillas, and so when there's when she sends the the flying monkeys out to get the to to you know to attack Dorothy and, and the rest of the the Muppet Oz characters, uh, like what like this a rather impressive Muppet fight scene starts. And then, but before it can get too impressive, it cuts to Quentin Tarantino in a studio office pitching the fight scene blow by blow to Kermit. And the fight scene that Tarantino describes gets bigger and bigger and more over the top and more over the top until he describes the Muppets turning into robots, which then combine to form giant Muppet robots, which then start battling in space, and then he starts pulling out concept art he's commissioned of uh, of anime style Muppet mecha and what they would look like fighting. And f- finally, Kermit has to tell him to calm down and that what he's describing isn't really what the Muppets would do. <laughs> and then, I, then I think like he makes a cra- oh okay, well you could just like cut to the aftermath of the fight, and then that's what they do: just smash cut to the aftermath of the fight. Did you know that Marvel Comics has been doing uh, comic book adaptations of the different Oz books by uh, L. Frank Baum? Oh, that's pretty cool. Starting in uh, 2008. I think there are maybe five nice. books in or something. But... No, I've never read those. I have to send you a link to the artwork. I want to get your opinion on it. Oh, absolutely. So while you do that, I think it's time to take a little break and I can talk about some of our uh, affiliates and so forth. Affiliates, sponsors, co-conspirators. Right. So, I mean, so if you like uh, listening to the sequel cast, you might want to check out some of our other podcasts, like Sequel Cast Special, which looks at kind of movie topics at large. Uh, sequel Commentary, which is a semi-regular podcast doing uh, audio commentaries for sequels or cult films. And our newest show, Video Game Sequel Cast, looks at uh, 
video game franchises. So, if you like that stuff and you want to help the show out, donate to us via PayPal at SequelCast.com slash donate. That's www.SequelCast.com slash donate, and you get a link to the PayPal link. You can do no less. You can do no less. It's greatly appreciated. And also, like, if you want to watch the movies that we're talking about on the sequel cast, uh, we have a, we're an Amazon affiliate, so we have links where you can rent movies through Amazon Instant Video. It's like two ninety nine a movie. It's pretty reasonable. And we have those on there as well. And if you want to listen to sequel cast uh, on the go streaming, the best way to do that is through Stitcher, and you can listen to uh, Stitcher Smart Radio, the app. Get it from stitcher.com slash sequelcast. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-E-R dot com slash SequelCast. And not only do you download the fantastic app, which is free, but you get the SequelCast shows added as your favorites. And if you want to buy merchandise like a whiskey flask or a button, and let's face it, who doesn't, you can go to CafePress.com slash SequelCast to buy some moich, moichandising. Where the real money from the podcast is made. So I sent you a, a link to a Wizard of Oz comic that Marvel did. Indeed. What? Do you like the TV show Friends? Then check out Watching Friends with me, Mark, and me, Ryan, every week as we go through every episode of this iconic TV show, giving you behind-the-scenes facts, our thoughts on every scene, and some personal stories. Do you know which actor can't remember how many seasons of the show there are? How about the one common household object that could never be seen on the show? We've got the answers and more as we explore Friends in-depth every week. Watching Friends, only on the HyperX Podcast Network. Spaceships, magic swords, intergalactic empires, dead gods, and creatures from beyond the moon. What mad universe could contain all these fantastic visions? What mad universe is a bi-weekly podcast delving into the misty origins of sci-fi and fantasy, pop culture and genre tropes. Take a cosmic trip on What Mad Universe Podcast on the HyperX Podcast Network. Do we need to do it again or can you cut around my club? Okay. Uh, I didn't do over the top. I mean, it's supposed to be over the top, but like, I, okay. Yeah, and a bit of echo, maybe. Uh, can I just stop recording then? Hello, fans. As part of the HyperX Podcast Network, we're letting you know that this year is HyperX's 20th birthday. To celebrate, they're offering some great deals on their award-winning gaming gear. If you're in the market for a new headset, a new microphone, blue light-blocking eyewear, or any number of other high-quality HyperX products, head on over to HyperX20.com. That's HyperX20.com to check out all the birthday deals. Once again, check out the HyperX 20th birthday sale over at hyperx 20 Dot com. Again, that's HyperX20.com. What did you think of that art style? It's actually, it's very nice. It's not, I mean, it's not the art style that you would you would see if you had seen the original illustrations from the book. But it's nice. It's, it's playful. It's storybook. But it's also very dynamic. The Penciled by Scotty Young and uh, Eric Schenauer is the writer on that book. So, if you like Wizard of Oz, you might get a kick out of that one. Um... I think before we wrap up our discussion on The Wizard of Oz, we should talk about some other uh, Wizard of Oz films that have been made over the years. Because as we mentioned, you know, Wizard of Oz was not the first one. Oh, no. 
Um, there, there were several. There's a wonderful Wizard of Oz, Wizard of Oz, The Wizard of Oz, and then The Wizard of Oz that we're talking about. Yeah, I saw a Wizard of Oz, um, you know, color cartoon that's uh, from the time period. And the uh, it was really weird. It was like almost Wizard of Oz in name only. Like the setup is the same. Dorothy goes to Oz. Uh, and um, then when she finds the wizard, the wizard uh, has all these chickens in an, in an egg machine. And uh-huh. the woodsman and the scarecrow free a giant chicken from a giant egg that um, kills the wizard. And then they all cheer. Like, there's no well, witch. There's no evil uh, character. It's just that sort of well, thing. It looks, like, it looks like what they did is sort of mashed a bunch of Oz stories together, because we'll, we'll talk about it more in Return to Oz, but chickens killing people is actually an important plot point later on in the series. Yeah. Um, I think the other old uh, Wizard of Oz film I saw was one from 1910 that was a silent film. This was an extra on the Wizard of Oz 70th anniversary uh, Blu-ray set. Oh, yes. And it deals with you know, it's it's almost like you take the beginning of the 1939 film and the end of it, and have it black and white in the silent film. Uh, you know, a, a notable difference is you have um, when Toto goes to Oz, he turns from a, a real dog into someone in a giant dog suit. That's kind of playful. Who helps fight to you know protect Dorothy, and the witch melts with water. You know, it's like in the book and in the movies, and it's. Um, Pretty, I think it's pretty interesting. If you're doing a really short version of the story, you could do uh, you could do worse. Which uh, I'm trying to, I'm actually, I'm trying to, to double check which which adaptation this is because uh, we, we, we mentioned on the episode the the racist version of the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, and there there is indeed one that's that's pretty damn racist because. One of the main characters in it is a farm is a is a, a black farmhand who works on the Gale farm, and it's it's just you know it's just like you're you're it's it's practically it is practically blackface this like sort of shucking and jiving guy who's who's played by an actor who's credited and I'm not making this up as sleep and eat. You are thinking of I believe the 1925 silent film which runs a, a whopping 93 minutes. Uh, directed, produced, and starring Larry Seaman. Uh, Seaman, well, maybe. <laughs> Simon. Or Simone. Yeah. But uh, I saw some of it. I didn't have time to watch the whole one. But yeah, you know, it doesn't have the evil witch. It uses a, a character from another one of the books, the Prime Minister Cruel, uh, and, uh, who has uh, a sidekick, the Ambassador Wicked. And even within the first ten minutes, I saw some... Uh, you know, close-ups of small African-American children bugging their eyes out, making faces. Uh, real step-and-fetch-it sort of, sort of stuff. Um, and you have to consider when this film was made. You know. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it, is, a, it is a product of his time. Of that, his time. that doesn't make it any less gross or awkward or weird. Well, but it, it, just, it does not play well to a modern audience, but for some very good reasons. No, that's true. And, um... Yeah, I'm not sure what book the character King Cruel was from, but I was a bit surprised to see, uh, you know, out of the few films that L. Frank Baum produced through his Oz Film Manufacturing Company, one of which was called 
I think, uh, just the wonderful Wizard of Oz, like the book. Mm-hmm. And that one doesn't have the witch in it either. It has that same, you know, um, King Cruel that was in the, the earlier silent film from 1919. And um, Frank L. Baum's one came out afterwards. So who knows? Oh, I did have a question for you uh, regarding this film. Uh, yes. Uh, who is your favorite character? I don't think we established that. Oh, oh, the 1939 film, which we need to wrap up talking. There's so much to talk about this film, really. Yeah. Um, hmm. I like the uh, Scarecrow. Because I guess I liked going to school. I liked uh, being smart or thinking I was smart, at least. And uh, that he wanted a brain, that he wanted to be smarter. I think that's what I related to the most. Although I thought the Cowardly Lion was the funniest. Yeah, they give him some great comedic moments. That's <laughs> so the way he's like, put him up, put him up. As, uh, I'll knock that block off. I'll put up the lights. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I broke think, my tail. I think about it, I just start laughing. It's uh, he's, just, a, he's a great character to impersonate. He is, because you know, no one else speaks like him, really. Oh, I think people who don't have brains do an awful lot of talking. Oh, uh, you know, we're talking about, you know, rem- um, different versions of this, of this film. Oh, yes. And I'm thinking of, uh, there is a television one that came out in blah, blah, shit. In I'm past. sorry. Uh, it was a, a sci-fi channel TV movie called Tin Man. Oh, yes. Where Richard Dreyfus played the Wizard of Oz. It's a very loose, uh, I think almost like, Maybe perhaps steampunk or something version of Oz. I haven't seen it in quite some time. Well, well, it just it it it's the whole idea that that it's it's that notion that oh here's something everybody loves. Let's make it dark and gritty. Yeah, and um, I don't have it in front of me who who did that, but they also did similar uh, the same you know writer and director did similar takes with Alice in Wonderland and uh, Peter Pan. So, but yeah, and their Alice in Wonderland stars Tim Curry as the dodo bird, who is a librarian that can kick people. Um, <laughs> but I do, Matthew. I do. Oh <laughs> my! Uh, Wizard of Oz. I think before we wrap it up and move on to their other other segments here in the sequel cast, we should talk about the jitterbug number. Oh yeah, the great the great lost scene. I wouldn't call it a great scene, but it you know at the end. The Wicked Witch is pissed. She knows uh, she's going to be, you know, Dorothy is coming after her. Yeah, this takes place in they're in the witch's forest, but before they've gotten to the castle. Right, and it's when she's sending the monkeys. She's like, fly, fly, my monkeys. And uh, when she's doing that, she sends off the, the jitterbug, which um, is a little bug that makes them all dance. And well, you want them exhausted so they can't defend themselves from the monkeys. And ironically, there was a character called the Jitterbug in some of the Oz books. Who Are you thinking of the Jitterbug or the Wooglebug? I'm thinking of Wooglebug, I guess. H-E, Wooglebug. H-E, standing for highly educated. Right. Um, but the Jitterbug scene, it's it's very light and, and cutesy, and the version that survives is really damaged. Well, it's. I think it was really it was meant to be just a show-stopping fun number, 
but yeah, it's just this this kind of pseudo jazzy thing with them Jansen. You be careful of that rascal. He'll come for ya. He's a dinner And yeah, and there's like the trees start dancing and as I recall, the only footage that's really survived was some behind-the-scenes footage. Yeah, the audio survives, but I think, yeah, they, they play it over still images that have survived. Still images and, like, behind-the-scenes clips, so you can see, like, the puppeteers operating the trees well, I think and they, the angles. They, they, yeah, and, and that they took it out, I think, is pretty smart, because uh, the movie kind of gets darker and the pace picks up as, as it gets near the end. You want to see him just get to the damn witch. Oh, um, indeed. It, but at the, at the same time, I would love to know what this scene actually looked like. There's, it's it's funny. Like most of my plans for if I ever get access to a time machine yeah. involve watching old concerts and watching old movies. Mm, and like I'm, that's one of the things I would do with the time machine is I would go back in time to when that scene was being filmed and I would watch it and possibly make my own video recording of it so that future generations can see exactly what they're missing. Another sequence that was deleted uh, from the film is they actually got famed choreographer Bubsy Berkeley to do a, a special sequence for If I Only Had a Brain, in which, uh-huh. have you seen this footage, Thrasher? Where mm-hmm. the scarecrow's flying around and bounce, and flies in the air with oh. a pumpkin and, and bounces yes, on the... Yes, he bounces off the, the fence. Yeah, bounces off the fence. Yes, I have seen that footage. It's, it's quite something. And I, I understand cutting that for time, although it is... It, it is an obvious cut. Even as a kid, I felt like something was missing. I think they also cut it because they were afraid of introducing too many fantastical elements earlier in the film, and stuff is so strange already if you have the scarecrow <laughs> flying everywhere. But everything is heightened when you're singing in a musical. I think you can get away with levitation. I think you could, and that that footage is quite nice, even if the picture and sound quality is uh, bad. And there also was going to be a... Uh, a reprise of that we're off to see the wizard and stuff after they killed the witch and we're going back to Emerald City. Which, uh, do you know the difference between Emerald City in the book and Emerald City uh, in the movie? Is it that it's green? Well, yes. In, in, the, in the movie, the Emerald City is an actual Emerald City made out of emeralds. Uh, in the book, it's in fact a city made out of glass, but everyone is required by law to wear these green sunglasses, so everything looks emerald. But nobody knows that it's not emerald because they never they never take the glasses off. Because di- I, I believe they actually say the reason they had to do that was that emeralds were deemed I- impractical, expensive, and an unsuitable construction material. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you love the film and really want to read the books, uh, I'd highly recommend you do so. You can, they're very easy to find. Um, if you can track down ones with illustrations or even look at the illustrations online, that's even better. And uh, they're smart. They're funny, but uh, it's a lot of puns. L. Frank Baum loved his puns. In oh, fact, indeed. you know, the, the prize that in uh, the film uh, Wizard of Oz, the Scarecrow gets like a diploma from the wizard, right, at the end? Mm-hmm. But in the book, uh, he gets... Um, Brand new brains. He gets brand and nails uh, poured into his head. Well, it's all symbolic. Yes. And they did do that in the Muppet Wizard of Oz. Uh, he puts brand flakes in his head. But <laughs> I, that's oh, and you know the the whole math thing in the Wizard of Oz. Oh, that's a good story. Tell us. Yeah, where he's like the the square root of an isosceles triangle is equal to the square root of the remaining side. Or so I forget I forget the line. But what he's actually describing is how to figure out, I think, the area of a right triangle. 
Uh, and there are there are many different interpretations of this. Uh, one being that whoever they, they just got they just fucked up and put bad math into the movie, which is not the stance I take. But I've known many mathematicians who do take that stance. Uh, my stance is that that's intentional. That you know he doesn't end the movie any smarter than he starts the movie. He just now has confidence in his abilities. The power of suggestion. Yeah, so I, I honestly I think that's I think that, that that is completely intentional. And I did I used to work actually with a uh, a math teacher. She worked part time at the same place where I was working full time, and she actually she did something. She was really smart. She used that. To, she would use that to teach math. She's like you know let's not quibble about what they meant. Let's just use that to actually learn something about geometry. Hmm. Pretty cool. Um, all right. Well, with that in mind. Let's do. Uh, let's give a rating for the Wizard of Oz out of um, five stars. I give Wizard of Oz five out of five stars. I rarely give a movie five five out of five stars, but I think it's just about perfect. Perfect. Yes, the beginning is uh, is a bit slow, and I think the ending is kind of uh, kind of boring. Where she goes back to Kansas, because I'm always like, "Hey, Dorothy, don't you just want to stay in Oz with the wizard and have magical adventures? Why would you ever want to fucking go back to the farm and?" Uh, and I, I don't know, like, risk That's, your dog that, getting murdered. That woman is still there to send the dog strangler. Although, presumably, now Dorothy will have the confidence to defend... Uh, but defend. As we'll see next week when we talk about Return to Oz, oh, uh, what awaits Dorothy is a delightful uh, shock treatment. Ooh, shock treatment. Get yeah, jumping like, like a real wire. Yeah, so, um, anyway, uh, five out of five stars. Thrasher? Well, uh, my rating... Come out, come out, wherever you are, and see that I've given this movie five stars. I just fucking love this movie. Uh, me too. It's great. So with that in mind, let's uh, do Pitch a Sequel. Woohoo! And so I don't think we've had something like this before where it's based on a big series of books. So when we're doing this Pitch a Sequel, do we pretend those books exist or not? Uh, well, we've always pretended that no other media No other exists. media exists. Okay. So if I'm doing a sequel to the Wizard of Oz film, I would have it where uh, Dorothy wakes up in, uh, in Kansas, uh, you know, picks up right where the film leaves off, and she closes her eyes, and she, she makes a realization. When she closes her eyes, she's in Oz. When she opens them, she's in uh, Kansas. So, you have a very bizarre parallel story of two Dorothys, Oz Dorothy and, uh, you know, Kansas Dorothy. And we're in the world of Kansas. Dorothy is walking around with her eyes closed, and they think she's insane. And, uh, you know, they're going to have to uh, lobotomize her to try and figure out what's the problem with that girl. They're going to lobotomize her before they figure out what the problem is. Well, sure, you know, a woman acts up in those days. You just uh, cut their brain off. <laughs> That's what a lobotomy is, isn't it? Are you sort of you well, post at it a bit? The whole brain out. No, they, you, they, you make a little they incision. Scar specific regions of the brain. Yeah, so it's a barbaric practice, but but that's what they do. Yes, and um, so you have sort of the even though she loves it in Oz, she has to get out of there, you know, really quick before she gets lobotomized in the real world. And meanwhile, all her friends in Oz want her to stay. So it would be a very psychologically complex story 
a, uh, if you will, a better version of what they attempted in um, Sucker Punch, in the film Sucker Punch. Did you see that movie, Thrasher? No, and I don't feel like I want to. Okay. So I would call I, I have that, my issues with that director. I would call the sequel to The Wizard of Oz um, Dorothy of Oz, and then in parentheses, or is she? Really, I would think you'd want to call it Ozception. Okay, what's your pitch of sequel? All righty. Uh, mine is going to be... Uh, the the wizards of oz how to beat the high cost of living where it's all about uh where it's all about uh because because it's at the end of this movie it's the scarecrow and the tin man are put in charge of oz um huh remember they remember they're they're yeah. they, when the wizard leaves they're they're left to rule in his stead until he comes back and so my my premise is going to be is it turns out they're terrible rulers they don't know how to. They don't mm. know how to run the Emerald City or a nation state. Uh, things start kind of going going to hell, and uh, they 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 basically they they both have to learn that it takes more than than brains and a heart to to run a nation. Uh, it also takes wisdom, and so the the inevitable hero's journey they go on ends with them actually accruing wisdom and becoming the kinds of becoming the wizards that odds need odds needs them to be and we are going to see the uh we are going to see uh more witches we're going to see witches for the northwest the southeast uh the northeast the west west there are two wests in oz for the purposes of this movie uh and you know there's there's lots of discussion of what does it mean for witches when when interlopers keep killing them Hmm. So the good and the bad witches kind of they initially put aside their their differences to figure out like how they're going to stop witch murder, but uh, but inevitably it will turn into the bad witches uh, trying to lead a coup against the wizards. Interesting, and certainly that bigger scope is something you'd see in one of the books. Oh yes, for sure. Um, and I definitely want to keep that. Yep. All right, so we're going to move into our, the next segment here on the sequel cast, sequel news, in which we talk about a current piece of news I've been uh, talking about, about, you know, modern sequels, over at the Facebook page at facebook.com slash sequelcast. Um, here's one I think you might find interesting. You can look through and you can pick one too, Thrasher. Okay. But, um, yeah, so, you know, they're doing a new Dracula film, but this one is going to be like an origin movie. Oh, good, because that's what we need. About, quote, a young prince who, when the lives of his wife and child are put in danger by a bloodthirsty sultan, I'm guessing that's Vlad Tepes, uh, risks his soul to save them and in the process becomes the first vampire. Um, Luke Evans, who plays Bard, uh, is the guy just called Bard? Who's the guy from The Hobbit? In the film that's not out yet. The guy that shoots the dragon in The Hobbit. What is that? Oh, uh, no, called? I think he is Bard. Just Bard, right. So Luke Evan, who plays uh, Bard in the upcoming Hobbit, Desolation of Smog, will play uh, Dracula in this new film, which at one point was going to be called, I think, um, oh, gee, I, I don't remember, like Dracula, Dracula Zero or something weird like that. But now they're just going to call it Dracula. How, how does that make you feel, Thrasher? Well, first, well, well, God, I guess, well, okay. A Dracula origin story 
could be a could be a very good film and probably one I would very much enjoy. The problem is I just don't think that that film is going to get made in this current filmmaking climate. I think the film's just going to be a lazy attempt to cash in on the popular popularity of vampires in general and Dracula specifically, and it's going to be a tacked-on pointless origin story that when it's over, we're going to be like, wait, so this guy becomes Dracula? I'm worried they're going to completely lose the character. I mean, it could... It could... If Dracula is the Darth Vader of Dracula, this could be the Phantom Menace, and it's just, and it's going to be about an Anakin. I'm willing to bet we'll see lines of dialogue where, ironically, this character, uh, I, don't, I guess his name will be Dracula, I don't really know. Um, we'll, well, we'll Dracula say, is Dracula's name. Yeah, well, I bet, you know, before he became Dracula, Count, you know, if you will. Uh, before they were famous. Before they were stars. Is he going to say things like, I can't stand the sight of blood. You know, it, has, it might have all this ironic dialogue. I hope not. Uh, <laughs> Maybe uh, he's like, Boy, I sure do like getting suntans. Dracula, stop bamping. Jesus, just put on a coat you, and let's get out the door. You run at the mouth. I can't understand anything. It's just blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you know my dating life. It drives me batty. There's, <laughs> you have no idea what is at stake. Well, you know, what, I what, what is that? Parody of, be- of a yeah. Dracula origin story. But what is that for dinner? Steak? No, I hate steak. How about the nice, good old chicken? No, no, nah. you want a steak. <laughs> I, I, I like my steak extra bloody. Ah. No, that's not ironic. That's ex- that's foreshadowing. <laughs> you know, right. put some more garlic on that bread. Oh, I bet there'll be garlic jokes. There's one thing. There's one thing I can't get enough of is garlic. I could just think, smell it every day. In fact, put garlic on that crucifix. I need to do some praying. You know, sometimes uh, when I fall asleep, I don't know why my Dracula became Italian just then. You know, hey, hey, uh, <laughs> hey, I'm Dracula. Uh, sometimes when I fall, hey, uh, uh, I don't get no respect. Sometimes when I fall asleep, I, I like to take a dirt nap. You know what I mean? I'm Dracula. Boy, I don't, I don't know what it is. I've just been coughing all day. Uh. Can we do just a sequel cast special where we just riff on Dracula origin story jokes? Yeah, probably. All right. Okay. Um. So with that in mind, what uh, sequel news story that I've posted at Facebook.com/sequelcast jumps out to you? Uh, neither. Instead, I'd like to talk about spinoff news. Um, uh, okay. something that is that, that is uh, that just that recently cropped up that I find fascinating, but not not out of nowhere is that a Breaking Bad spinoff is being considered, and it would be centered around the character of Saul Goodman. I don't watch that TV show. You, it's fantastic show, but uh, Saul Goodman is this uh, a shifty lawyer who's introduced in season two who is really kind of a sinister... He's not exact, He's not exactly comic relief, although he's very funny. He's played by comedian uh, Bob Odenkirk. But he... There's a, there's a, there's a real dark humor to him. And uh, presumably he's not going to die by the end of the series. Hmm. And, and you know, the, the, the creator of the show is seeing some... some and, of course, AMC wants another awesome franchise, and uh, 
this would have a built-in audience for the Breaking Bad audience. And so the creator of the show is is looking at the possibilities about for whether this character could carry his own show. It doesn't mean no script has been commissioned, no pilots being made, but they're having meetings. Aside from Frasier, has there ever been a TV show spinoff that has worked? Uh, Star Trek, uh, most of the Star Trek spinoffs. Character spinoffs. Oh, character spinoffs. Ah, uh, uh, the Jeffersons. Spun off of all of the family. All in the family, okay. Yep. Hmm. So you're not interested in such news pieces as they're making a hot tub time machine too? No, I am interested in that. I just consider it old news. I knew about that two weeks ago. I see. Two weeks ago as of now. I have no idea when, when people are listening to this. Two weeks from now, so it'll be not news, but olds, I see. Um, uh-huh. It's pretty bad. Okay. Let's go on to... I tell uh, you, I'm dead tired of this news. Blah. <laughs> so let's do... What you're watching, I'm not missing a segment, am I? I'm oh, no, 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 no. Okay. Um, something I've been watching is... I just saw... I need to look up the title. I don't know. I, I always say what I'm going to do, and then I fuck it up because I can't think of the title. But this is a movie with a really long title that's a sequel. And uh, I want to get it right. Even though I didn't care for the film. Okay. So I saw The Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 2. The last film in the Twilight, uh, you know, romantic vampire franchise. So far. So far. And I've seen all these films except for Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 1. So I was shocked that I could walk into Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2 and not be lost at all. I wouldn't think so. I mean, like, it's, it's my understanding that, and I have seen the first movie, that the first movie sets up a conflict, which is then ignored, and then the movie's franchise ends. I think you'd enjoy these films on a camp level, Thrasher. I probably would. Um, Michael Sheen is very funny as, like, the head of, like, the European um, coven of vampire. And at one point, there's a scene where he laughs, and it's the most Amadeus-like laugh I've heard. And it comes out of nowhere, and it's really inappropriate. He's like, oh! <laughs> he just talks like normal afterwards. <laughs> because um, in, the, in the Breaking Dawn Part 2 film especially, uh, vampires from around the world team up, and there's a bit of a showdown. And then it ends on a complete cop-out that made me want to throw a TV out the window. <laughs> I think I know what you're talking about. Uh, uh, if we ever cover Twilight on sequel cast, which uh, we might. Um, send those cards and letters, folks. Yeah. Just to hear Thrasher bitch about how the story doesn't make sense. Oh, I'm sure I would, and I would probably go off about their interpretation of vampire and werewolf mythology and and romance. Yes, indeed. Um, so anyway, that's, that's what I've been watching. I, I kind of enjoyed it towards the end until the actual ending where it made me feel like watching the whole, you know, 10 hour saga up to that time, a waste of time. It's one of those endings that makes it feel warm and fuzzy in the privates. Uh, Thrasher, what have you been watching? Well, what I have been, uh, watching, not so much watching, 
uh, as reading. Uh, I picked up, or I didn't. I say I picked up. I was given as a uh, as a Christmas gift a the novelization of the Lost Doctor Who episode Shada, the the infamous Lost episode written by Douglas Adams. Yep. The uh, the novel itself written by uh, Gareth Roberts, based on Adams' script. And you finished that? You said yes uh, today, actually. Now, I guess what I'm curious about, because they filmed some of those episodes and then the, for budget reasons or whatever, they didn't finish well, them. Well, what happened is that they were, is that, uh, you know, the is that the episode was being filmed and then there was a uh, strike at the BBC and production on mm. many shows, not just Doctor Who, but several shows was, was halted. Uh, I believe the strike was with the set builders or the electricians. I'm not entirely sure, but it was a BBC strike. Uh, and anyway, the strike was resolved and when the strike was resolved, the the powers that the that be in charge of Doctor Who just decided that it would be too expensive to resume production and finish the episode, so they just canned it and uh, went on to to film to film the next episode. But has there been a? Dev- I, I think we've talked about this in another show. This is sounding really familiar. But um, has there been some DVD release of like or an audio drama or, or the, something? Well. Well, Big Finish did do an audio drama with Paul McGann as the Doctor, which is very awesome. I definitely suggest uh, ch- checking it down. That uh, is v- very close to the script because the, I read an in, uh, listened to an it radio interview with the guy who did the radio play adaptation, and he was saying that it was his, the easiest job he ever had because what Douglas Adams wrote might as well was so dialogue heavy it mm. might as well have just been a radio play. Uh, and there was a VHS released that had some of the surviving footage with like narration by Tom Baker to fill in the gaps yeah. that apparently is is infamous for for having Tom Baker sound like he's trying to describe this story from memory. Uh and then there is there is a new DVD that just came out that is all of the surviving footage restored uh I, I sadly I have not been able to track this DVD down but the book has been very very entertaining. It feels like it really does feel like Douglas Adams. Uh, the the Douglas Adamsiness uh, of the original script does carry over into the novel. So, how much longer was Tom Baker Doctor Who after you know the time that they'd filmed that season? I actually don't. Well, he was with Lala Ward. Uh, I guess maybe he was the Doctor for another two years because he was with Romana. Okay. Then Romana leaves at the end of that season in E Space, the E Space trilogy. Then the Doctor, I believe, hooks... Uh, his next companion, he then hooks up with uh, Tegan Javanka from uh, the Australian flight attendant. And then he regenerates uh, into Peter Davidson. So yeah, I think he was uh, only the Doctor for about two more years, uh, two more series after that. Well, I think, uh, you know, next time you're in the Portland, Oregon area, Thrasher, I'll have to take you to an arcade called Ground Control that has a pinball, uh, Doctor Who pinball. Oh, which nice. features, I think, six or seven doctors in a realistic drawing style on the the headpiece of the pinball machine. My dad saw that and he swore it had to do with the band of the Who. <laughs> <laughs> they had a concept album about a doctor. Who? I, I, doctor. You know, I Who? Played <laughs> a Doctor Who pinball machine. I'm wondering if this is the same one. I'll have to check I'd it out. Likely so. But um, anyway, I thought that'd be amusing. Uh, uh so I hope. Uh, you enjoyed this episode of the sequel cast where we've talked about Wizard of Oz. If you want to help us out, donate at www.sequelcast.com slash donate. 
to donate to the PayPal account. Um, tune in next week. We'll be talking about Return to Oz in our look at some of the Wizard of Oz films. A, a 1984 film that's darker and truer to the books and was a big flop rooney Sadly. For the sequel cast, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Oh, on Twitter, uh, follow me oh. at SequelCast. And I am at Internet Mayor. I do want to point out, um, I will be making a uh, an appearance at uh, LeakyCon in Portland. Nice. So, me and I'll be there as press reporting on it, doing several sequel cast specials on it. I need to follow up with some other PR people to see if I can do something else there, too. But LeakyCon is a, uh, a Harry Potter convention that's been big in London, but I believe this is the first time it's been, if not in the United States, certainly on the West Coast. And it it seems to me to be a pretty... Um, it must be a big deal as a convention because the, the price they would charge for a normal uh, weekend pass is $160. Ooh, that is steep. I mean, you know, you go to, to a convention like Gen Con Origins, uh, and at least when I did go, Dragon Con, you're looking at about between 60 and 80 is usually the, the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if you want to find out more about LeakyCon... Go to LeakyCon, that's L-E-A-K-Y-C-O-N dot com uh, slash Portland to find out about that event. And, you know, if you're a SequelCast listener and want to meet up with me there, um, you can send me an email at SequelCast at gmail dot com. So for the SequelCast, this is Matt. (laughs) This is Thrasher. Saying... What about a rhinoceros? Somewhere... Over the rainbow, skies are blue, and the dreams that you dare.